Man, I want to tell you, today is a real special privilege of mine because I get to launch a new series of sermons called Hungry for God. Uh, you may know that we've entered into the Lenten season, and I just wish all of you could have been here for Ash Wednesday. Such a beautiful presence of God. I, I should have put it in my slides and shown you the photo that I sent to Donna, my wife, and the caption of that, today for me, this place was a place of peace and presence. Beautiful, beautiful time. We're so glad that uh, you joined us if you could. And I just want to encourage you, next year when we do it again, uh, I invite you to do that. But we entered into a time of the Lenten season. Uh, for those of you who might not know, uh, Lenten season is a 40 days, beginning with Ash Wednesday, 40 days moving toward Easter. It's 40 days of pause, 40 days of reflection. And in our pausing and in our reflection, I just want to remind you, Rachel Connor shared with us something that's really important. Experience never transforms us. Reflection on the experience transforms us. These are 40 days for us to pause and reflect in order to position ourselves to hear fresh and new the transforming invitation of God. See, uh, Lenten season is ordered around the 40 days of Jesus and his testing in the desert. It lies the backdrop of the Lenten season just want to say to you, Ruth Haley Barton says this about Lenten season. She says, observance of the Lenten season is a space in time which we are called to stop whatever we're doing, no matter how important it might be, and enter more intentionally into the disciplines of prayer, self-examination, and repentance. But these disciplines, as significant as they are, are not ends in themselves. Hear me. They are a means to an end. And that end is that we would return to God with all of our hearts. The next 40 days provide opportunity for us to return to God with all of our hearts. We provided some resources for you to do that. And so you can go to www.paralandvineyard.org slash Lent. Uh, you can use the material in the, in the lobby to use your QR code and it'll take you right to the weekly engagement for processing your way through Lent so that we all create space to return to God with all of our hearts. I have a book on my library shelf at home that reminds me of how I think regularly about Lent. And the title of the book simply is this, 40 Days of Decrease. 40 Days of Decrease. Because the space we're creating is 40 days for increase. I decrease so that he increases. So I want to invite you on the journey. We've got some resources to help you along the way. But for the next 
five weeks today and the next five weeks that follow, this series of creating hunger for God is an invitation for you to engage in the practices that will fuel and feed your hunger for God. Let me say, fuel, what what do you mean fuel? So that you can move down the pathway that God has for us. It's fuel for engagement and action. The pause is fuel. But then it will feed you because it will satisfy your soul. You know, when we eat food, we eat it for fuel to get through the day, but we also eat it for delight and satisfaction. So it will fuel and feed your soul. So today it's my privilege to launch the series, and we're going to begin today by turning to Jonah chapter 3. Our focus, again, is turning to God with all of our hearts, and today turning to God with all of our hearts by practicing repentance. In my head, I hear a collective groan. You didn't groan where I could hear you, but I just hear a collective groan in my head whenever we start talking about repentance because uh, for me, the groan is repentance for me is turning from my self-absorbed ways of living and being. So when I have to face that, I'm like, oh, really? Because there's so much of my own self-absorbed ways attached to me and the way I live. And so I groan, oh, really? But here's the thing I want you to remember today. Repentance is clearly walking the marked path of all of those who have gone before us in the journey of following God. All who have followed God have walked the path of repentance. So when I or we talk about repentance, we shouldn't think of it as something strange and at times necessary. Strange and at times necessary. Uh, The phrase in my head just pops up, when I have to. No, no. The life of following Jesus is a life of repentance. Repentance is an ongoing and necessary engagement in the heart with regard to the life of those who are hungry for God. This is what repentance does. It recalibrates us. It reorients us. And I'm reminded of a quote from John Wimber And I think his words appropriately orient us toward a healthy and helpful understanding of repentance when he says, the way in is the way on. Repentance is the way in. Repentance is the way on. So, here we go. Jonah chapter 3. We just jump right into the middle of Jonah And uh, here's what Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. All right, so for me to to do justice to this passage because we jumped into the middle, I have to just pause right here and say, what do you, a second time? Well, to better understand the work of God in our lives, we should actually review what was the first time. Like, I, if you jump in in the second time, well, what did he say the first time? And so uh, that's a good question. So we dropped right into the middle of the story, 
And uh, the first word to, uh, from the Lord to Jonah's story, I'm going to give you Jonah's response, and then I'm going to give you the word. Here's Jonah's response to the first word. God says, go. Jonah says, no. <laughs> okay. In my head, I hear the voices of my grandchildren. All of them at one time or another have said this to me in about this tone. I say no. I say, I say no. This is the way I hear Jonah responding to the invitation of God. And so what was the invitation? God says go. Jonah says no. Jonah 1 Verses 1 through 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying for the fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And a good question will be, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? I'm glad you asked because what God is going to do is create a moment, an opportunity for encounter with Jonah while he's on the run. And oh, by the way, his running is good for some sailors on the boat. Verse 4 simply says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Hear it. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. They were in dire straits. Now, to, to condense a bunch of this text, I've, I've just sort of put it like bullet points. So listen to me if you can. This is what's happening while this violent storm is raging all about them and the ship might break into pieces. Sailors prayed. Jonah slept. Captain asked Jonah, how can you sleep? Why aren't you praying? Maybe your God will save us. Sailors cast lots. Jonah's found guilty. Sailors interrogate. What did you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? Who are your people? Jonah replies, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Sailors were terrified and asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he, the Lord, had already told them. The seas get rougher and rougher. Jonah is thrown into the sea and the sea grew calm. The sailors in awe are in awe and feared the Lord. They offered sacrifices to him and made vows to him. And a huge fish swallowed up Jonah. 
his passage to Nineveh and a place of encounter, a place of repentance before God. See, what happens in that first call is God says go, Jonah says no, and sometimes we construe in our minds that when we say no, suddenly we've tied the hands of God. I mean, that's how self-absorbed we are. I say no, so you, you can't do anything. Do you, if you go back and read this text for yourself, you'll see that the encounter God planned was in fact good for Jonah, good for the captain, good for the sailors. The sailors, in essence, repented. They made vows to the Lord, and they kept those vows. And when he said, I'm a Hebrew, I follow the Lord, see, God had already said to them, this is the guy, and they had already heard what God was doing. I think it was the double doubling down on God revealing himself to them as he's at work here, and they find in some way and some sense a form of repentance and reflection. Can I just say to you, when we say no to God saying go, it does not stop his engagement. He calls us all to repentance. To keep on reading, that huge fish that swallowed Jonah up uh, after three days uh, regurgitated him onto dry land. And when he gets onto dry land, we hear chapter 2. And that is, Jonah says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I will say salvation comes to the Lord. God comes to him in his distress in that he says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord and he answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help. You listened to my cry. I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say that salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto the dry ground. Chapter 2. Wow, the fierce love of God chases us down. You ever been there? You ever been there? I mean, you haven't, but I have. No to God becomes him chasing us down. Second word came to the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim its message that I give to you. Jonah obeyed, obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh is a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the original language, that message is five words. Five words. And it's the same five words in chapter one. Go tell them that I am coming to address you. And here's, here's the beauty. Verse five, the simple proclamation was 40 more days and Nineveh will be, will be overthrown. And it says the Ninevites believed God 
A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up all their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Maybe God may yet relent and have compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I just love it. In Jonah and the Ninevites, God mercifully responds when we honestly, humbly, and hungrily repent. When I think about that phrase, for me, this is a revelation of hope. Hope that we all need, that God is not looking to reject us. He's inviting us to come to him in repentance. He is waiting to welcome us and to receive us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many second times have we had? And if I'm honest, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. My work as a spiritual director, here's what I understand. God delights in reminding us again and again and again and again. And if you and I had the chance to sit and talk about the work of God in your life, I can only imagine that your life is like many human beings. And that is, God's just been so faithful and patient. To continue to invite you to a life lived fully and well. If you haven't had God visit you a second, third, or fourth time, can you just imagine yourself in Jonah's shoes? A place where you've needed or wanted God to visit you again. And the prayer that's on your lips that you breathe with tears regularly is Lord have mercy on us. We sang that. Lord have mercy on us. For me, here's a helpful perspective. As you read the text and as you understand some of the history of 
the Assyrians, the Ninevites were Assyrian. Very uh, evil um, people in, in their practices. They were, they were very, very harsh people. If you read a little bit about that, some of the resistance that you can read later on in Jonah is he resisted because he knew what kind of people they were and he didn't want to go. But before we talk about them repenting, I want to be really clear. We should talk about our repenting. And so for me, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time, the helpful perspective is this. If you're a Christ follower, you're a messenger. The heart of the messenger is in regular need of redirection. The same redirection and alignment needed by those who have not yet received the good news of God. And here's what I think. To be good news to the brokenhearted, we must be willing to welcome God to speak to our brokenness and humbly respond in repentance. It's not my brother, not my sister standing at the door. It's me, oh Lord in need of break. When we place ourselves as one who practices repentance because of our brokenness, we deliver a message of grace and mercy to those who have not yet experienced the grace and mercy of God. Having reviewed your own repentance, you can now place yourself in the people of Nineveh's shoes with greater compassion, with greater desire to see them as people in great need because they are broken, not simply because they're bad and oppositional. The word of the Lord comes to you to change you. You're headed down the wrong path. The end for you is not good if you continue in this way. What will you do? And what you do changes the proclamation of the word you deliver. Grace and, ver and mercy versus exclusion and judgment. When Nineveh is met with the simple word, 40 days, repent, and judgment is coming, that very simple prayer received by the Ninevites was simply this. The Ninevites prayed honestly. They believed God. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. They believed God. What do you, what do you mean they believed God? Had a little nudge in their interior. No, they didn't have a little nudge in their interior. They had a nudge in their interior that was expressed by an exterior response. This was not empty piety or purely a religious undertaking. It was convictional. 
their belief turned into action. Action that interrupted their everyday, ordinary life. They were making room to turn to God with all their hearts. That's humility. They, they just prayed and believed God. They also prayed humbly. They admitted their evil and violence to God. Nineveh collectively said, we were wrong. Let me pause here. Have you and I named where we're wrong? Like, we're happy for other people to confess their wrongness, but have we confessed our wrongness? Told you that Nineveh was great in sin. Warren Wiersbe says, the Assyrians were known far and wide for their violence, showing no mercy to their enemies. They impaled live victims on sharp poles, leaving them to roast in the, in, to death in the desert sun. They beheaded people by the thousands and stacked up their skulls in piles by the city gates, even skinned people alive. Evil enemies of opposition who began to pray humbly and said to God, we have done wrong. And I hear the words, forgive us, O Lord, forgive us. They prayed humbly, but they prayed hungrily. Their fasting was total and communal. Their honest and humble plea again was fueled by their hunger. They all felt it in their bodies and they cried out with a single voice, fasting from food rather rather than fueling our bodies with fuel with food they fasted and fueled their prayer and their passion in time and space in repentance their prayers were filled with hope who knows maybe the lord maybe god will turn and relent and in fact, God did in responding with mercy, withholding his judgment, which these violent and sin, sinful people certainly deserved. Moves us to chapter four with regard to Jonah's response. This week when I, I do this regularly, when I'm thinking about preaching, I walk around and I talk to myself out loud. I know, it's weird, but I do. And I had just come home for lunch and I was thinking, I was thinking I've been working on, uh, on the sermon. And as I came into the door, I didn't realize that, that I was talking. I was talking out loud. And I walked in the door, closed the door behind me. I didn't realize Donna was in the house. And uh, I walked in and she said, what? And I said, what do you mean what? She said, I knew you would do this. What, what would I do? I, I was thinking, I was thinking about Jonah. Because in chapter 4, this is what Jonah says. I knew, I knew you were going to do this. Knew what? Knew what? He said, I knew it. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to be kind. I knew you were going to be generous. That's why I didn't want to come in the first place. 
And Jonah says, this is the truth. But to Jonah, this generosity of God seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I, tr that's what I tried to forestall by fleeing Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious. Can you hear Moses? I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. A God slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, okay, Lord, just take my life away for it's better for me to die than live. I'm so upset, just kill me. And in that moment, Jonah identifies, and in the words of Warren Wiersbe, identifies the challenge of every human being. And Warren says this, the challenge of every human being is simply this, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. Our hard-heartedness. So we know what Jonah does. He responds by saying, I can't believe you did that. I knew you were going to do that. Doggone it. That's why I didn't even want to come here because you're going to be gracious and merciful and I wish you wouldn't. And I know none of you would ever think that or say that, but I have. When I see God's grace and mercy working in somebody else and I say, I wish you wouldn't do that because that doesn't make me feel good. I want them to suffer. I want them to pay for every moment of grief they brought me. As I was making that observation about myself and the condition of my own heart, I realized uh, a story came to me. And um, while I'm quick to assert that I might not respond like Jonah, I'm very clear in the story of a pastor that told me years ago, had two sons, they were in their teenage years, early teens, and they were constantly being reminded not to throw the football in the house. You know, mom and dad both, don't throw the football in the house, don't throw the football in the house, don't throw the football in the house. You know, football came with roughhousing and all the other stuff that goes with it. Mom and dad had been out for the afternoon and when they came home, um, it was obvious that roughhousing and throwing the football had occurred because there were broken lamps to prove it. They walk into the house and dad, had who had warned them again and again and again, was really, really upset. He was so upset that he didn't want to make a decision because he knew that he might do something he would regret later. And so he said simply, boys, come in here and sit down. And he said, here's the deal. You know, I've told you, your mom and I have told you forever and ever and ever that you shouldn't do this. And I don't know what to do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your room. And I want you to determine what we should do. They went off sheepishly, I imagine. And when they returned, he said, so what did you decide? How is it that you should be punished? They sat there for a while and worked up their nerve. And they finally opened their mouths and said, Dad, if it's up to us, 
we think you should forgive the guy. We think you should forgive the guy. Isn't that our disposition? Isn't that our disposition? We should forgive, we should forgive the guy. The question I ask you, are we able to give the grace and mercy to others that we wish to receive for ourselves? Repentance aligns us with God, but repentance aligns us with the message of God that is filled with grace and mercy. So I'm, I'm finishing right now with this question, series of questions. If that's you, you've aligned and assigned judgment, what do you need to address and release in your judgment of others? Even your enemies, even your enemies. Another question. Will you allow God to speak to your brokenness and bring healing to you so that you can joyfully proclaim salvation comes from the Lord? I've received his salvation. His salvation is for you. Come to you, come to him in your distress so that he might deliver you. Maybe rather than identifying with Jonah, you maybe identify with the Ninevites. Perhaps you feel far from God. I want you to know that he is inviting you to honestly, humbly, and hungrily repent and follow him. His salvation is for you. Believe him. Turn from your self-absorbed ways. And follow him into a life unimaginable with delight and purpose. Would you stand? We're going to close our time with prayer. And so if you're a small group leader, team leader, part of part of the life of the church and you're available to pray for others I just want to invite you today again if you experience the presence of God inviting you to speak to the grace and mercy you've received that you want to give to others but there's a blockage come and receive prayer if you have brokenness that you're aware of that you'd like for God to speak to and bring healing to you come and receive prayer. If you feel far from God, he's inviting you to honestly, humbly, and hungrily, hungrily repent and follow him. Come and receive prayer. So today I pray this prayer of blessing. May the God who knows you and loves you awaken you to his pursuit of you with grace and mercy to turn you around for your own good and for your own pleasure, for his delight living through you to become the person that you were created to be. Today and in the days to come, as we decrease, 
Lord Jesus, may you increase in us and through us that we might be those who turn with whole hearts to follow you in all that we are, in all that we do. This I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you till we see you again.